0: Hey everyone, my name is Dr. Dolores Tarver. I'm a licensed psychologist and it is time for the TT time with Dr. Tarver was created to encourage people to move forward in their wellness goals. It is not intended to be a substitute for therapy, but more of an opportunity for people to gain additional skills to be the best version of themselves. So March is Women's History Month. Not too long ago, we released a movie, The United States versus Billie Holiday. Some of you may have had a chance to see that. And those things are what is guiding the topic for today, which is Holes in My Soul, the Effects of Trauma on Relationship Dynamics. So let's talk about Miss Billie Holiday. Ms. Billie Holiday is an icon. She was a person who advocated actually for civil rights. She doesn't get as much credit for that being a pioneer in that movement, using her voice to be able to raise awareness, particularly about lynching, but also just about how women were treated in the industry. So this movie chronicles an aspect of her life where she was being targeted by an FBI agent who was determined to tear her down and he knew that she had a substance abuse addiction. And so this is what he used to be able to try to break her so that she would not continue to use her voice to raise awareness about the things that were happening in the country, racism, sexism at the time. So she has a longstanding history of trauma men in her life who were financially, physically, emotionally, psychologically abusive to her, and, and even to the degree that they worked with the FBI to be able to get her arrested and jailed for her addiction instead of her being in recovery where she should have been. So why does she end up getting in these relationships? We always question when people have been in traumatic relationships or they have a traumatic child, Um, rearing? Why is it that they continue to perpetuate these unhealthy relationships throughout their lives? And I think it's always important to get a little bit of understanding of how a person got there. So for her at age 10, she was raped. And instead of the perpetuator of that abuse being jailed, she was sent to a Catholic reform school um, stating she was a prostitute and she needed right, to have her behavior corrected. So that was the message she was sent at just 10 years old after she was raped. Her mother, who was a sex worker, brought her into the industry at age 13. So you see, she lost her childhood. The way that she learned to understand herself, her body, her relationship to men was all steeped in this early trauma that she experienced. She did not know her father. So she did not have a healthy man in her life as a model. And I suspect, though I'm not certain, her mother likely experienced some trauma as well that led her to be in the field as a sex worker. So here we have a woman who throughout her life would be sexually exploited in an industry that does that for women that you have to think about during this time. Uh, during this era of lynchings and segregation still, she couldn't even stay in hotels when she would perform. Her band, because they were men um, and pr- primarily white men, were able to stay in hotels where she had to stay on her own tour bus and she's the headliner. They would have to bring her food because she could not go into the restaurant and get her own food. So these are the types of things that she was dealing with at this time, which ultimately took her life at age 44. So I want to talk a little bit about these holes, right? So how do we get in this place where trauma affects us in this way? Well, these holes come from a lot of things. One, when you have a traumatic experience, it affects your ability to emotionally regulate. So you may have extreme periods of anger, um, violence, aggression, It might be turned outwardly toward people, but it could be turned inwardly on yourself. Um, So there may be self-harm behaviors that you engage in. You may contemplate suicide. Um, You may engage in impulsive, reckless, destructive behaviors. And again, this is trying to fill this void. Uh, There are a couple of lines that stand out to me in the movie. One is uh, a friend of hers explaining her having these holes, which is why she used substances to try to fill these holes that that seemed like they were endless voids. Another line in the movie is her describing to someone who wanted to be in a healthy relationship with her that she could not do it because it was uncomfortable to her. It felt like she wasn't in control because that's not what she was used to. That's not the life she knew. And so these are good examples of some of these holes and how they show up because It affects the way we view relationships. It affects the way that we see ourselves as sexual beings. We've discussed previously when you have exposure to sexualized behaviors at such an early age, it shapes your brain to a point where you now have a distorted perception about what a relationship should look like, what you as a sexual person should look like, that you don't necessarily anymore now have control over your body and uh, your sexual needs, but it's about this person, and sex then becomes this act, and it doesn't become this intimate connection, right? And so we know that often addictions are born out of a lack of connection. Um, we can be really agitated and, and and irritable, and have a hard time being able to even just sit. You'll find that people sometimes very much pace when they've had a traumatic experience. They don't feel settled and comfortable in their bodies, which is why they seek to avoid being in that space, or have people disconnect um, and and feel like they're outside of their body and have a hard time being even able to emotionally relate to and intimately connect to other people. There are problems with sleeping, inability to get to sleep, stay asleep, um, and part of that pacing is born out of that. Sometimes people are just up at night because they can't sleep. Frequently they will find that their sleep comes in the morning hours when other people are awake, the daylight hours. That feels like a safer space to them. There are intrusive thoughts and memories, nightmares, flashbacks that occur. Um, There is this sense of feeling shut down, unable to communicate, um, almost as if your thoughts are blocked, your speech is blocked, like someone else has control over you. And so, as you're trying to be able to make some sense of your experience, you have these things hindering you, right? So, if I'm having this constant experience within my body, it feels foreign to me. Now, I never am at peace, right? So, there's this constant sense of unrest for me, hard for me to find joy and pleasure in things, which is often why people will seek substances because. Even if temporarily, it provides them some relief, some euphoria, right? To be able to let go and be at ease and feel comfortable. Again, even if it's short term. Changes in appetite. Um, you'll see people either gain a lot of weight or lose a lot of weight um, because they're struggling. With all of these thoughts, forty to 60,000 thoughts in your mind and imagine them being about your trauma. about you not feeling safe about you being disconnected what kind of life is that for you every day Um, sometimes people engage in risky things just to feel something just to not have this numbness that they may be experiencing to just have some life to live in these temporary moments there is so much difficulty trusting other people but at the same time you trust people to be untrustworthy Right. So there's this expectation of how people are going to show up. And so it becomes this thing that I get used to. And again, that becomes my normal. So now I expect people to be abusive to me. That's all I've seen. I expect people to take advantage of me sexually. That's all I've known. I expect to be in this position where I have to use my body to be able to get what I need, because that's what I was taught. Right. Anything. Anything. That was going on. It's going to be made worse by trauma, right? So if I had pre-existing health problems, we know our trauma will show up in the body. Um, then that's going to be exacerbated. If I had underlying mental health problems, anxiety, depression, we know that post-traumatic stress disorder is one of the things that can come out of trauma. These things are going to be heightened, right? So I'm having difficulty just being able to show up and get things done, accomplish things. I feel stuck. I feel trapped. So. This is how I end up getting to this place of having these holes. I don't feel complete. I don't feel whole. I don't feel as if I can count on anybody. I'm just existing. I'm not living. So oftentimes what we realize about trauma is it affects how we attach. So if you were abused growing up, neglected, uh, and this doesn't necessarily even have to all be Uh, you being physically abused or sexually abused, it can be with people withholding love from you or withholding attention from you, having insecurity around food or housing or clothing, having to take care of yourself and, and being made to feel like you're alone and you don't really have support, taking care of siblings, parents leaving you for periods of a time where you're by yourself, having to fend for yourself, get whatever it is that you can get on your own. So if you grow up in this environment, then you have to think about your early experiences with your caregivers or how you learn about trust, safety, security. So if my early experiences with my caregivers was unhealthy, harming, they weren't present, I didn't have my needs met, then of course it's going to show up and affect how I attach to other people. So I'm going to talk about the unhealthy attachment styles, um, dismissive avoidant attachment. And this often happens when kids had to fend for themselves, right? So I am used to having to be independent. I've had to be since I you know, was probably not much older than a toddler. And so I don't want people to take my independence away from me. So I don't, I don't want to be in relationships with people. I don't want to connect to people. Oftentimes, we think of that as our antisocial person that doesn't like to be around people. But the truth is, I don't trust people. People have not been there for me, so I'd rather not have any kind of dealings with them because I need to be able to count on me. That's the only person I've been able to count on. And if I let a person close to me, then they might try to take some of my independence from me. And so I work really hard to maintain that independence, sometimes at, at any cost. Uh, fearful avoidant, right? So here's that person that grew up in an environment where their caregiver was the source of their pain, right? So we think about our caregivers being the source of our love, right? How we learn about the loving, secure, safe relationships. Well, it is true that that caregiver can also be the person who teaches us about hurt. Uh, and so what happens when I grow up in there? I'm afraid to be alone, but at the same time, I'm afraid to be close, because you hurt me, but at the same time, you, you were the person that was there for me. You were the person that I saw, and so you, you did provide some things for me too, um, but they came at a cost. And so I have this very conflictual type of attachment with people where I do this push-pull dynamic. I want to be close, but at the same time, I'm afraid of being close. And so I go back and forth from periods of being codependent Appears of being cold and distant. Then we have the anxious preoccupied attachment. So these are our folks that experience just constant change in their lives. There was just inconsistency. They didn't have security at all. So they literally are anxious and that anxiety consumes them. So these are the people that you might describe as really clingy. So they're constantly wanting reassurance. I remember that person that, oh, okay, well, are we still going somewhere? Oh, you said we are going somewhere, but are we still, right? And you're like, okay, I've answered this. Or do you love them? Or how do you see them? They're constantly worried about how they're being viewed by other people. If what they said affected people, it's playing back in their minds. People have moved on, not even thinking about it. But this person is consumed with it. Um, they are, in fact, get to the point where they're so clingy, they often drive people away, which feeds that self-fulfilling prophecy they have about that they're going to be abandoned, that people aren't going to be there for them because they essentially are pushing people away. So when we think about these attachment styles, then it's easy to understand how people end up getting in the type of relationships where they have the same perpetual cycle they're repeating because that's how they learn to attach in the first place, right? Then we have, um, what we call trauma bonding. So this occurs when we begin to have this psychological response to uh, to our abuse and we form this unhealthy bond with this person that has abused us, right? So as we talk about Billie Holiday, right? So this person is abusive to me. They hurt me. They take money from me. They exploit me. They abuse me. But I connect To them, I want to be with them. I begin to rely on having this person in my life to fulfill my emotional needs. And so we're thinking, looking from the outside in, like this person isn't filling your needs. But again, remember, I've attached in an unhealthy way. So to me, this is a cost of love. So in order for me to receive this caring from you, then I know. That I'm going to be abused by you that's that's part of it that's the price I pay for you loving me and that's an expectation that you will abuse me for my love I'll I'll make excuses for how you treat me I'll talk about that you're really a good person and um that you take care of things for me at the same time knowing that you're taking from me and and it's leaving me depleted but I will do anything just to have that love and I live for those moments of kindness those small moments where you show me some type of love like that. I'll take that and I'll hold on to it um, and, and I'll and I'll keep trying to taste that and, and get back to that moment. Right. So I'll, I'll, I'll use that to be able to get through these difficult times because I know like you're going to throw me this nugget of love. Eventually, I just got to work hard enough to be able to get it. These are the folks that it's often hard for us to get them to see their relationships as dysfunctional and unhealthy. They'll argue with you about it. They'll be really defensive and protective of the relationship they have with this person. They'll get upset if a bystander or police officer tries to intervene. And you may have witnessed this before. Well, you'll see somebody who is being beaten out in public and, and people will step in they'll call the police or other men will step in to try to pull this man off this woman. And she says, get off him. She starts fighting this person that is trying to pull this man who is literally beating her off of, of, of her, her, her love. Right. Um, I think the other thing is there is just this reluctance to take steps leave this abusive relationship and they may go back and forth with it. They may go, go stay with some people, get out of it, I'm leaving this time, but they end up going back because ultimately they have connected, they have bonded with this person in this trauma and so they see them as their salvation, right? Yeah, you're also my enslaver but you're my salvation at the end of the day. And then we find that people will connect to other folks that have experienced trauma. So now I'm connecting to other people simply because they've had a traumatic background too. And I feel like they'll be more likely to be able to love me and understand me and not judge me because in my mind they're broken just like I'm broken. So I can't be with a healthy person in my broken state. I need to be with someone else who is as broken as I am. Right. We can fix each other. Um, And as we well know, that doesn't work out well. So how do we change this? How do we get out of this pattern of being in these perpetual, traumatic, abusive types of relationships? How do we change these behaviors? I will tell you that this is a long process. This isn't something quick. And we will see people go back and forth. They'll get out of a traumatic relationship, abusive relationship, get back in one. Um, even if it's not a dating relationship, it's, it's abusive with friends, it's abusive in their work environment, right? So there are a lot of steps. So even though I'm gonna highlight some things, I do not want you all to be deceived in any way that this is some kind of quick process. And I also want you to recognize with your loved ones that they may have a desire to be healthy, but they are fighting against what has been taught to them starting at very young ages about who they are and who they are to people, right? So they're having to really struggle to relearn or learn, maybe they never even knew, healthier strategies of engagement. And so, and I know some of you are thinking, well, you grew up in healthy families. We didn't have those things. Um, But what did that person take from the experience? And I find this a lot with the youngest child, sometimes in the family or that middle child in the family where they have a completely different experience in their mind than their siblings. And so they need that love. They crave that love and attention and they felt starved of it because they might've had a larger family and weren't able to get as much. And so even though you say we grew up in this loving family, um, they still had these unmet needs. They still had these holes in their soul. And so they end up being in these abusive relationships. Um, So oftentimes we try to get people to focus on the here and now, right? So that's not living the space of that this person Shows you those bits of kindness um, that they have done these loving things in the past. Let's focus on the right now. And the right now is you have a black eye, a busted lip and several broken bones. That's the right now of this person. They are abusive. So getting that person to acknowledge the, the harm because it's, when they can pull away from that, when they can have that be distant and not fall into the sea of forgetfulness and they go back to that place of this loving Um, kind person, this benevolent being, then they're going to forget about the abuse part. So we want to keep them focused on the here and now of who this person is Um, and the evidence, right? And that's why it's important for us sometimes to take pictures so we can remind people like, hey, last month there was a broken arm. Three months ago, he broke all the windows out in your car. Six months ago, he came up to your job and threatened your male co-worker, right? So needing to have this evidence to be able to show people so they cannot, because we know that cognitive distortions can be very, very strong. And so if in my mind I've created, because I need, um, and this speaks to that cognitive dissonance, I have created this version of this person and I need how I see them to match up to who I think that they are. And so I will take things and misconstrue them so they match up, right? So you need to be able to give this person pictorial or video evidence like, no, this is who this person is. Positive self-talk, affirmations are really important because again, I have an issue of worth. I have an issue with seeing myself as someone who has control over their body. I have someone who, who has, maybe I've been in a misogynistic culture, I've been in a sexist culture, I've been, right? So I've been told I'm nothing. And so I need to be able to believe that I am without a person of value, that I have worth, that I have a purpose, that I have meaning, right? So that self-talk is really important. Taking care of themselves, just basic, right? So we know that people are engaging in self-destructive behaviors because, again, they're trying to fill these holes. Um, They're trying to numb this pain. They're trying to escape these nightmares and these flashbacks and, and all of the ways that they've been affected by this trauma. And so being able to learn alternatives, right? Healthy coping skills. How do I take care of myself when I have problems with emotional regulation? I'm overwhelmed and and it feels very intense to me. It feels very strong to me. So teaching people how to calm themselves, how to soothe themselves by themselves. You don't need a substance. You don't need a person. You don't need a shop to be able to do that. You can learn how to you know, water can be very restorative to people when they're trying to ground. Um, Teaching people visualization, mindfulness, to be able to connect with their bodies and learn how to sit in that discomfort and that it will pass. Weighted blankets, there are a lot of different ways. We can teach people how to learn how to calm that emotional storm that often leads them to be very reactive. Um, Teaching people just about abusive, toxic relationships Because if I don't know that how I grew up, what I saw, what I've experienced in my relationships has been abusive, then this becomes my schema for how relationships are going to look. So being able to provide that education is really important. Like, here's what an abusive relationship looks like. Here's what a healthy, adaptive relationship looks like. And being able to give examples, right? So helping people be able to see and make sense and have meaning on their own about what relationships are supposed to look like being able to see those flags early on that this person is controlling that this person is going to um, perpetuate the same type of trauma cycle you've already experienced they're going to exploit you being able to pick up those dynamics recognizing that those are the type of people that I'm going to attract so I need to do some things different in dating being able to understand how this person attaches over their early experiences, right? So I don't move so quickly into relationships. It's part of what ends up happening sometimes when we've had these traumatic experiences, when we've had these unhealthy patterns of attachment, then we end up getting in relationships very, very quickly. And so we don't take the time to actually even know who this person is that I've gotten involved with. Um, sometimes we just have to teach people how to be safe. Like, how do I, how do I leave this? How am I able to make sure that I'm safe, um, you know, and this is when we start talking to people about safe places they can go, places where this person won't think to look for them, you know, names and contact information when I'm ready to leave, having that backpack with the essentials um, that's hidden somewhere that I can grab and get out of here, knowing what time to leave, when, what this person's routine and patterns are so I can be able to get out of there. Um, you know, again, my evidence, my journal, my pictures to take with me, having a plan of when I'm going to leave. Um, money, right? That's important. Am I going to be able to have a place to go? Um, am I going to be able to work during this time? Because I may still have to provide for myself and my family, right? Um, and we want to make sure that people are leaving safely. Like, you know, folks confronting people that are abusive, trying to get out of these environments with them. And so we really want to talk to people about Again, what is the safest strategy for you exiting this situation? We want to also teach people how to be able to set a tolerance meter, right? Like, so what happens is we've been in these very traumatic um, environments. And so my tolerance is super, super high. Like I will tolerate a lot of stuff before I have some type of um, boundaries that I set, right? So we want to make sure that we're teaching people like, "Eh, let's adjust this tolerance meter. There are some things that are not okay. And let's talk about why they're not okay. right? So I'm learning healthy boundaries. I'm learning boundaries about my body um, and and who I am as a sexual being, um, my choice as a sexual being and not what I feel like I should be doing or that my experience has been that's just what it is, right? So I get to have an active role in deciding what's comfort for me, comfortable for me. And you really have to work with people on this because they're not gonna know. They've been dis- so disconnected. Some people just dissociate all together during sex, so they're not even present anyway. So they have no idea about getting connected with their body and what they actually like and what they actually need. So that's a lot of work as well. Helping people with their goal setting to be able to achieve these things that often they may have sabotaged along the way, that they may not have been in the in the presence of mind to be able to achieve, right? Which feeds that negative self-talk about that they need this person in order for them to be able to survive and, to, and, to, and their minds thrive. Um, it's always important that people have activity that is meaningful and purposeful to them so that they are not attached to this person as a mechanism for how they get their worth. Um, and, and, and again, a person is not going to feel those holes, those voids. And so being able to figure out what is it that I enjoy um, that will allow me to be able to do something that I feel matters to a point where it's starting to make me feel, feel whole. Uh, we know that therapy is without a doubt a part of this process. There's no way for people to learn these skills without having some kind of therapy help and and when you're processing trauma then you talk about some strong emotions and, and memories and flooding and so there needs to be that supportive space and often we will encourage people to do the support groups at the same time so they have other people who have been through similar things to be support outside of the therapy experience and being able to have that crisis plan what happens when I feel overwhelmed with emotions what am I supposed to do how am I supposed to manage afterwards, right, so we teach people, get the crisis numbers to them, be able to have that list of activities that they can go to, be able to have that list of um, support members they can reach out to when they're feeling triggered, Uh, and then medication may also be necessary, right, because we've talked about these mental health conditions that arise when a person has experienced this type of trauma, and so we want to make sure that we're addressing their symptoms, so people don't have to self-medicate to address their symptoms. So a few resources that I have for you all. Um, Office on Women's Health, National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, and then some books that I like. Um, and and I definitely encourage people to be in therapy as they're working through these books. I wouldn't encourage people to do this on their own. The Courage to Heal workbook, The Body Keeps the Score, and Breaking Your Addiction to a Person, and I'll drop uh, those in the description of the podcast. What I want you all to hear is you deserve to have safe, supportive, trusting, caring, loving relationships. That is what you deserve. Be encouraged.